The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. 12 minutes past nine and of course on a Sunday we look at our guest presenter and we talk to someone who is doing extraordinary work and in very different fields today. Dawn Robertson is the CEO of Constitution Hill and she has a CV which is long and diverse and we'll talk to her about that in a moment. Dawn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me for breakfast, Michelle. <laughs> Are you sending over that coffee virtually? I am, honestly. <laughs> Dawn, you, uh, we always like to know what the first choice of song is and what a great choice it was. Zaria Evora, what does it mean to you? It obviously touches you in different ways. Oh, I love the music of Zaria Evora. You know, one of my greatest experiences was uh, watching a performance of hers. I think it was in the last moment that we had in South Africa. If she was on stage, you probably were there, Michelle barefooted, cigarette in one yes. hand, glass of whiskey in the other hand. And, you know, ever since then, she's just been my most favorite. But also just, you know, Latin music, the bolero. I love Cuba. I love Mexico. It kind of just takes me back into those spaces. Dawn, I suppose I have to ask you, and I'm asking you this with uh, your next song in mind, is you are an extraordinary woman, a strong woman, a woman who has done so many different things and continues to really engage in so many different ways. Do you think that's also why you chose the songs that you chose for today? I mean, both of them strong women, women who have really made their mark in so many ways. Definitely, very definitely, most definitely. Um, You know, even the book that I chose, uh, although I, I kind of sent you one particular name, my favorite author is another strong woman, really. Um, so, so for me, it's really about, you know, I, I get so much out of the lives of, of strong women. And, and you know, I try to be that kind of supportive person to other women because yeah. so often, you know, women don't support women. And for me, yeah. that's a big thing, particularly where I am in my career right now, supporting younger women and allowing them to grow and to blossom. Yeah. And, to, you know, I've had such amazing opportunities in my life. I must just kind of spend the rest of it trying to share with others. Dawn, you uh, mentioned as the book that you that you that that has profoundly influenced your life, Steve Biko's I Write What I Like for Selected Writings. But you also say that there's another author. Who is that? So really speaking, my most favorite author is Isabella Lindy. Mm. You know, I, I, I love her stuff. I love the... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a romantic at heart, I've got to say, you know. And, you know, this whole thing of magical realism, uh, you know, her historical fiction, but always at the center of all the books are strong women. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, I haven't. I've had, I've had the long pickle of the sea sitting on my shelf for a long time, uh, since COVID, I think, when it yeah. was released, but I haven't got into it. Um, but I'm dying to get into that one when I get a break. She's definitely a prolific writer. I mean, every time I look up <laughs> from my reading list, there's another book. So it seems yes. to me that she really does have um, the creativity and, and I would say this, the kind of technical skill to keep maintaining. And, and I raise that because I think in so many ways, you are one of those women who has that. The tech, you, you, you have the kind of technical understanding of the world that you work in, which is a lot around administration, but it's also around policy and politics. And yet you, you, what you really hold on to quite deeply is a creative lens on the world as well. 
Talk to us about that constant shift, shift and change. I think, uh, you know, Michelle, I'm a creative by nature. You know, my undergraduate degree is in fine arts. I've always played in the creative space. Yeah. And I got into government by default. Yep. Um, and one of the things that I've always tried to do was to keep that creative lens on whatever I'm doing. I don't think I've ever been your consummate bureaucrat. <laughs> I kind of try to find creative ways of doing the job uh, that I've been allowed to do. One of my first bosses in, in government when I started, when I was plucked out of KZN into the Department, National Department of Arts and Culture, always spoke to me about how I pushed boundaries um, and how he kind of tried to put me in a box and then I'd go off at a sense of tangent, always taking on a lot more. But I think that's what I need in my life. You know, if I'm not stimulated, if I'm not excited, if I'm not passionate, I can't do it. And that was something I got from my father when I got my first job, I recall, you know, saying that the day you don't want to get up in the morning and go to work, hmm. that's the day you get up and go in and resign. Because you've got to find meaning in the work that you do. You've got to find purpose. And for me, it's always been about um, doing things in a way that is creative, that is out of the box. Um, yeah, and being challenged. I love a challenge. I really, really love a challenge. And I've been stretched so much in my life by the opportunities that I've been given. I've kind of stepped into jobs where I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to do it? You know, the World Cup, for example, I didn't call my father telling me when I went for that interview, now my child, I'm going to tell you two things. Well, one thing, you know, a soccer ball is round. That's the one. <laughs> not the rugby ball. Because that's how much I knew about sports. So- so I, I, I'm going to come to you in a moment on that particular job because I, I must say I've always thought that that was a fascinating detour for you, but it talks to certain requirements that, that one has to have in the world and not necessarily to understand that a soccer ball is a different shape to a rugby ball. But but before we go there, you, you, you talk about really having a passion. And I think I want, what I'm, I'm interested to know from you, and Dawn, I have seen you in so many incarnations. I'm... You were with the SA Tourism Board. You're currently the chief executive uh, of, of Constitution Hill. You worked with Create SA. You've worked um, at Gauteng Tourism. All of them may be different, but I imagine that for you, they have one specific purpose. And I may be wrong with that. And I'd love to know for you, what do you see your purpose being, no matter how you might shift in jobs and in spaces? I think it's my underlying belief in this country, mm. you know, and that's why I always say to people, uh, my current job at Constitution Hill is the best gig ever. It kind of brings together my two things of social justice, social impact, mm. and the art and creativity. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it's always been about taking on positions. If you look at all of those positions, even the World Cup stuff, and, and using that to create opportunities for people in this country. I, I kind of grew up in a home that was very much about uh, giving and believing social justice, having purpose, making a difference in people's lives. And, and each one of those jobs provided me with that opportunity. I have to say the one, and you picked on it, that really I needed my arm twisted very hard behind my back was uh, for the... the, the arts and culture position, uh, my HIV position at sports arts and culture. And I recall my boss at the time, uh, MEC Bobby Creasy, she was the MEC at that time, yeah. actually taking me to coffee to convince me to take the job because I turned it down, I think, about three times. 
So let's go to the one that you didn't turn down, and that must have been hugely challenging. As you mentioned, football, rugby ball, do we know the difference? And is it, <laughs> is it, is it important when we look at the coordination of the FIFA World Cup in Gauteng? I mean, uh, did you even sleep for months? No, that, that, that was an enormous task. Remember, um, I came into Gauteng government, yeah. having just completed the Creative Say project, which was a five-year national project. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that Creative Say taught me, and I had an amazing, wonderful mentor in the form of a woman called Leslie Ryder, who was kind of an international expert on project management. And when we were putting together the project plan, it was Joseph Gaylord and myself to source the money for the Creative Aid project. Um, she was brought in by, I think it was the National Department of Labor at the time, to actually walk the walk with us and mentor us on the job. Uh, and I think it was those skills that I got out of Creative Aid, which were the big draw cards that... Uh, that I was attracted to, well, not that I was attracted to, what they wanted for me was in housing government uh, in the position of head of the Department of Sports at Alpha and Culture, because a lot of it, whilst running the day-to-day activities of the department, was about coordinating and project managing the full integrated team that was kind of delivering on the World Cup for housing. And obviously, I had great colleagues that I worked with, uh, a gentleman called Ivor Hoff, who was kind of instrumental in doing the soccer side of things because he was the sports person. And my focus was just around the project manage, overall arching project manager and pulling all of the threads and drawing all the threads together. Most importantly, being drawn, finding the creative way, the space for the arts within the World Cup. Yeah. So I don't know if you recall, you know, we established that amazing uh, uh, art center in the old library in Santon, yes. uh, where we brought together artists and creators and actually took uh, the arts onto the richest mile in the country, in Africa yeah. at the time, and exposed it to this new audience that was coming in for the World Cup. Yeah. You know, Dawn, what you're talking about um, ostensibly, and, and uh, it's a trite word and it's been completely overutilized. Um, and the other day I was in a workshop and someone uh, raised the question, uh, it's it's a leadership, and leadership can be anything. Leadership can be um, me within my family unit. It could be anything. But in many ways, what you had to do was, uh, I suppose, develop leadership skills. And I don't want to use the word leadership, and I wish there was another term for it as well, like how we engage with our teams, how we more broadly engage with the world in order for action to happen, outcomes, and then ultimately impact what do you think some of your learnings in that time were? I can just say to you, Michelle, for the start, that I'm still learning that. So I have a kind of a head that runs ahead of people. Yeah. And I have this vision in my head. And one of my greatest challenges, which I'm still trying to overcome, is taking that vision and sharing it with your team yeah. and getting everybody to buy into that vision. And I'm getting better at it. Uh, But I think that, for me, has been one of the biggest challenges because I kind of see something, I know what I want, uh, and I go for it. Um, And if you don't keep up with me, I tend to do it myself. So I'm, as a manager and as a leader, the word we don't want to use, I'm still learning a lot. 
Yeah. And I hope by the time I retire, I've actually got better. I think I'm a lot better now. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's about, you know, that whole thing about the buck stops with you. You know, you take responsibility, you support your team, uh, you grow your team. I remember with Credit Fair, we put everybody through the training. And I, I was so pleased because for me, the Credit Fair project was a, was a dream come true. I was allowed to pick, pick a team of people from around the country who I thought could deliver on that project. It was, a, it was a dream job. You know, you normally walk into something and there's an existing setup. Here, I had to set up a project from scratch, find offices, put in IT systems, find the people, the whole community. Um, and I was able to hand people that I'd worked with over the years and bring them into their job. And it grew as a team. And for me, the greatest, greatest gift was seeing each one of those people move on to the most amazing positions post that. Yeah. You know, Annabelle Zabetia, for example, is, is one of the people that worked with us, with us on that project. Um, so so it's, 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 it's something that I learned, and I learned so much from the people who I consider to be my mentors and my leaders. Yes, and I learned exactly. it every single day. Fantastic. I love this idea that we need to uh, start to figure out how to communicate what's in our head instead of assuming that everyone knows exactly <laughs> what you're thinking. I'm sure my producers would uh, nod their heads profusely when we say that. We're going to go into your second song, Dawn, Miriam McCabe's Aluta Continua. I mean, it's obviously, but uh, give us the non-obvious reason. You know, uh, when the producer kind of spoke to me, I was in the middle of doing a whole range of things. Um, you know, so for example, saying Steve Bicker, I write like what I like. Um, I mean, I read that years ago. It influenced me so much. I mean, I grew up, you know, completely influenced by the Black Consciousness Movement, for example. But what triggered that was the fact that I'm working on a merch store for Conville at the moment. And I was going through a book list. What book should we have in the shop? <laughs> and, you know, when, when they spoke to me, that was the book that kind of triggered me. I thought, oh, I must go back to this. I must read this. Um, and the same thing with, with Maria McCabe's Aluta Continua. And one of my guests later on will talk more about the life that I would imagine. Um, but, you know, looking at the artworks in the court um, and, you know, the famous uh, red neon sign of Aluta Continua, uh, and also having just come out of our Human Rights Festival, yes. where Aluta Continua was very much the message, you know, the struggle continues. Um, and... So that's why I kind of, because I've got such an eclectic taste of music, don't ask me to choose two. I can't do that. So it was kind of things that popped into my head at the time. So let's just, uh, for our listeners, let's put that out there. If they're going to open a store, it would be a store for the hill. I love the idea. I mean, it really is well, well overdue. What kind of books would you like to see in that store? What kind of music would you like to see on Constitution Hill? If you had to go onto the hill and you go, you do a tour of um, the, the, the whole hill, you, you do a tour of the jail, you do a, a tour of the artworks, you do an, a tour of the women's jail. At the end of it, you come out and there's a store. What would you like to see in that store in terms of books and other merch, other merchandise that is just going to say, I was there and it made a difference in my life. We'd love to hear from you. Sure. 
9.32, what a great track. I've always loved the lyrics uh, to that particular song. Miriam McCabe is a luta continuum. It's the choice of our wonderful guest today, Dawn Robertson. She's the chief executive of the Constitution Hill Precinct and uh, engaging in so many different aspects, the creativity of it, the human rights of it, the social justice of it as well. Dawn, if we go back in time, because we're going to go to your first guest, who apparently is one of your very old friends, and I don't mean age as in that you are both old, <laughs> but that you have both been <laughs> together um, for a long time as friends. Tell us about how you met your first guest, Yasmin Raja, Director of the Refugee Social Services in Etokweni, KwaZulu-Natal. So another seriously strong woman. I think this thread runs through everything <laughs> we're talking about today. Uh, Yasmin and I met, um, I, I taught for two or three years, um, simply because when I was at university, although I came from a middle-class family and my parents paid my, my tuition fees, I took a bursary from the education department uh, to fund the establishment of the Black Student Society on campus. And in return, I had to go and teach for a few years. Uh, and I taught for a few years, and that day came that I told you about where you didn't want to get up in the morning. Mm. And I went in, and I resigned, and I slammed the door because I, you know, <laughs> I had some really, really, really great leaders up till then, but the new person in charge just yeah. didn't understand the weird and wonderful things I was doing. And my mom ran a children's home all our lives. We kind of grew up in the children's home because that's what my mother did. Uh, and she said to me, well, what are you going to do? And she said, well, our sister organization needs somebody to come and work with kids. Um, and you have an educational background. And these are kids that are not achieving at school. Um, they're kids that have been placed in what they call them adaptation classes, and they've been written off, and there was no future for them. And these kids were kind of uh, teenagers now in this children's home, and they wanted somebody to develop a program in order to give them life skills and get them back into society. So I took on that job, and when I rocked up at the children's home, it was St. Philomena's in Durban at the time, a new social worker had just started, and that was Yasmin. So that's how I met Yasmin, who is not just my very best friend, she's my sister. We have spent our adult lives together, and she's my go-to girl. So let's talk to your go-to girl. She's on the phone right now. Yasmin Raja, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome guest that you have, Michelle. <laughs> and I'm not biased at all. Not at all. Like, what would that be? Friendship bias? I mean, just, no, she's a sister. Uh, sister bias. <laughs> sister bias. <laughs> so, Yasmin, I, I, I'm going to jump right in and then hand back to both of you. But, you know, you are sitting in a position in a job right now. Wow. That is obviously front of mind, front of discussion, particularly in KwaZulu-Natal as well, sure. as Director of Refugee Social Services. Describe uh, the landscape for you right now. I don't know how to describe it. It's very challenging. Mm. It's very stressful. Um, but it's also exciting at times because we, we get things done, yeah. I hope. Uh, but we're working in a very hostile environment, let's just say that. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, things will change. There's, there's, there is some some movement around, you know, the anti-xenophobia and the anti-othering um, happening. So there, there is some movement. Hopefully we'll get it going and the narrative will change. Yeah. But it's a constant fight. You know, and I'll put this to both of you as a question. I was in a workshop a few days ago, and I think it was the economist Tabi Lioka who 
said that we need to rethink how we are just constantly um, dropping off this phrase off our tongue, xenophobia, and how we uh, need to rethink what it's really about and maybe tease it apart more in order for us to get a deeper uh, understanding of how it's positioning our, our political environment and our, and our social environment as well. I wonder if you would, would agree with that. And I'll start with you, um, Yasmin, if I may. Sure. I think we do need to change the, the narrative. I think we need to drop the word xenophobia. Yep. I think we need to start talking about human beings and othering. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, what do we need to do? You know, we're all, all sort of um, human beings on the planet. The planet is our home. And how do we, you know, how do we, how, how do we learn to live in peace with each other? And yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, no, but I hear you. yeah, you know, it's 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 around when are we going to start looking at what we all need? Yeah, you know, and when are we going to start looking at changing the borders and stopping this whole uh, narrative around nationality, which is such a human construct? Yeah, it's a, it's you know, a and talk about humanity. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Dawn, um, I'll take it to you because I think in so many ways you work on Constitution Hill, you um, work with the preamble to the Constitution, which are we the people and the rights. Um, talk to us about that question around, you know, what what uh, Yasmin is having to work with as Director of Refugee Social Services. Um, and, and, and talk to us about how we could maybe shift the conversation. I think Yasmin has kind of summed up my position, you know, and I think you're right. You know, for us coming from Constitution Hill, being the custodians of our Constitution, looking at the Bill of Rights, the preamble of the Constitution, and also being located where we are in the inner city of Johannesburg, surrounded by migrant communities, this has become something that has just become so fundamental to the work that we do. You know, we had a couple of sessions within the, the Human Rights Festival weekends ago, where we looked at these issues. Uh, we also kind of hosted the, the march on xenophobia, um, which was banned and eventually ended up being a kind of media conference at Constitution Hill. You know, for me, more and more fundamentally, um, issues of migration and, and, human, and, and issues around human rights issues with migrations and migrant communities and what's happening in this country is becoming so much more fundamental to the work that we do. And and your, your speaker that you spoke about, I think he's kind of unpacking of the situation. I think is exactly what we need to do. We need to understand where it's coming from. Yeah. Yasmin, let's, um, let us try and take it apart just a little. You talk about, we talk about migrants, we talk about refugees. Sometimes they are one and the same, sometimes they're not. Let's explain yeah. that very clearly for our listeners as well. Okay, so a refugee is somebody that has been forced to flee their country of origin because of uh, race, religion, nationality, belonging to a certain um, uh, social group, or because of their politics. And in South Africa, we also sort of... Um, people that have actually fled uh, some level of conflict. There's there's uh, different conventions that we've actually signed on. Uh, I think one of the things that, and, and, and a lot of 
uh, asylum seekers and refugees are actually documented. So, um, you know, this narrative of the illegal foreigner, I mean, nobody should be illegal, but there are people that come through that might not be documented. And the documentation might well be because home affairs has been closed for two years. Yeah. You can't get the documents. Uh, prior to, to two years ago, uh, home affairs was not, was not able to process uh, people that came through, not because there were hordes of people here, but also because they, um, they, the, the, they've been closing refugee reception offices, they've, uh, um, you know, they've limited services, there's been a number of court cases that have asked for for the Department of Home Affairs to reopen their services, for instance, in the Cape Town office, which hasn't happened. You know, there's been a lot of obstacles that have been mm. put in in place. That doesn't that doesn't. So that's the refugee and asylum seeker, and mm. and, and there's a number there's a number of asylum seekers. Your asylum seeker is the person that has come in and is waiting to be. So there's a process of application, and that person is waiting to be recognized as a refugee. We've got a backlog of, I think they're working on 155,000 in the backlog project that's going on right now. But I think uh, the number that I was given was around, I mean, I know there's people waiting 10 years for the asylum where they've been rejected, but the asylum claim needs to, uh, you know, they're on appeal. So there's a lot of issues that are that that talk to the foreigner in this country. Yeah. Yes, there's people that uh, have come in um, as economic migrants, and they've come in from our neighbouring countries, and they're working uh, here illegally, not necessarily being um, criminals in any way. I mean, our constitution recognises their rights as well. Uh, and we have undocumented South Africans that just don't have they they haven't had the opportunity to register their births. This comes from apartheid uh, yeah. times, and you know it's it's generational because your mom hasn't been registered. So you, uh, you're yeah. born, and she can't register you because our law requires. Um, the mother uh, to uh, the parents to actually be documented themselves before the children can be documented. So we've got an issue coming up with even South African uh, children or South Africans being undocumented. So I'm I'm trying to complex and nuanced. uh, um, Narrative was there not? I mean, I'm trying to remember the story and I. It's, it's a little bit fuzzy in my head, but a good many years ago, the young man who went, was it, he went into home affairs with a toy gun or something uh, because he could not get his ID. And because he could not get his ID, he could not apply for a job. He could not get a bank account. And just the absolute desperation was, am I, am I mang- mangling it up with another story? I'm trying to remember. No, that story is absolutely correct. I'm not sure if he couldn't get his document because I'm not sure about the reasons. But I think what it does say is that, you know, South Africans and migrants yeah. are all sort of um, have the same, the same challenge with home yeah. affairs. And, you know, home affairs is a, is, is, a very, is a very important department and it needs to start looking at its policies 
and and aligning them to our constitution as well. Yeah. You know, we what what is happening right now is we're dividing each other up on the basis of nationality or documentation. But at the end of the day, the service that we're getting from the Department of Home Affairs needs, needs to improve immensely for all of us yeah. that live in this, this country. Yasmin, you know? um, I, I, we're going to close off with you because we need to go back to Dawn and her second guest. But sure. um, I, I, your job sounds incredibly stressful and probably at times quite demotivating. And I'm wondering what keeps you motivated in life in general and um, I mean, I was, want to go. Is it your best bestie, Dawn, who like just like phones you and says, "Hey, here's a good joke," or wh- what is it that keeps you like? <laughs> whenever, I, whenever I get to Johannesburg, she makes sure that I um, experience the cultural life and the creativity, and just just being with her. You know, sometimes we don't speak for for a number of weeks. Yeah sometimes as long as a month, but it's just that connection and knowing that she's there and that she's she's actually um, helped me keep my mental health in good nick by, you know, when I'm in, in, in I love Constitutional Hill. She's done such a wonderful, yeah, uh, she, she and has. her team has. has done such a wonderful job. I mean, it's the best thing when when I am in Joburg to actually um, rock up at the hill and know <laughs> that I'll see something different or I'll experience uh, Pasha or, yeah. so, you know, the other day when I was there for a meeting and um, um, I think it was Yvonne Shaka Shaka and, and some others that were recording mm. a song about refugees. I mean, it just happened that I happened to be there on that day. It was like... So special. So yeah, Dawn's always always getting me to see the other the the the, the fun side the yeah. fun but the social justice side as well yeah. of life. So yeah. Yasmin Raja from uh, Durban Etiquani, Director of Refugee Social Services. Now there's one hell of a job at this current time. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got a message from um some uh, that's right. Terence and Kakamo is one of our favorite listeners. Hello, Terence, saying, good morning, Michelle. Your guest is talking the truth. There are so many undocumented South Africans, particularly in the rural and farming areas. And then Dawn, Sonella in Stratford asking a, a, a question. And I know that you do do this, but maybe you could just explain to Sonella how you guys do it on the Hill. Sonella saying, morning, Michelle. It would be lovely for the Hill to have a mini stage for aspiring young artists, including singers, poets and readers. And that's Sonele in Stratford. Um, you do do that, but just talk to us about how you do that. Thanks, Michelle. I think that, that for me is the most exciting part about where I am uh, at this point on the hill. You know, we've come through the two years of, of COVID and we take enormous uh, shocks in terms of our revenue generation because we've got to make, you know, at least 50% of the income to keep the hill alive. And we've been doing some interesting and amazing things that I hope are going to kind of pay off. So maybe let me just maybe take you through some of the new things that people can expect from the year and at the same time answer that question. So we have just handed over site to the construction company for the building building of our new five-story visitor center at Constitution Hill. 
This visitor center has a new museum, the Museum of the Constitution. And Michelle, you would know that over lockdown, the Constitution Hills Trust digitized all the constitutional yeah. archives. And all of this will be the basis of this new museum, which is in this new building. Um, it also includes a, a conference center, which will be a hybrid-type conference center, co-working spaces for creatives, because they always see this kind of parallel thing between creatives and, and, and social justice. It's got a rooftop restaurant. So it's an amazing new facility that's going to become the hub of the year. If you've ever been to the year, you'll know that it's kind of this Arab set of buildings and you wonder where to go and how to navigate the space. This building is going to be the center. It's going to include the new museum shop, coffee shop, restaurant, and it's going to be the space that will become the hub, not just for Constitution Hill uh, that we run, but also for the other organizations who find themselves based on the year, the court, the social justice organizations who have got their offices there. But to answer the other question, we also have just handed over site to the construction company for the building of the People's Park. Yes. So your listeners might recall the place where we did Afropunk for three years. This is now going to be turned into the most amazing festival park, a park that's particularly designed to host outdoor festivals. And we'll be doing things there for the community. So yes, we will have stages there for aspiring artists. But it's also about a green lung at Constitution Hill. If you've been to Constitution Hill, you know that it's pretty much a concrete jungle. Yeah. Uh, we're surrounded by Yobel, and it also doesn't have much green space. So this park is going to just be such a joy, both for the community of Constitution Hill and our, our neighbors and our surrounding communities. Yeah. Um, and then one of the other things that we did over lockdown was to try and get back the two heritage buildings that we have on site. The one is the old Queen Victoria Hospital, and the other one is what used to be the nurses for Queen Victoria Hospital. Um, so the Queen Victoria Hospital has been turned into the Creative Uprising Hub. And currently we have just under 50 creative businesses that are located in, 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 the, social, in the Creative Uprising Hub. Uh, we also have support organizations, so Arts and Culture Trust is there, the South African Industries Incubator, Maxim Digital, uh, Animation SA, TechSprung, and a couple of other support organizations for creatives that have located themselves here, apart from the 50 or so creative businesses. And I've just managed to get more funding to renovate a few more floors in the building, which will allow us to double the number of creative businesses that we incubate and provide the student space. So some of these spaces are, are studios, some of them are kind of workshops, some of them are offices. But the whole concept of a creative hub where people are spinning off each other with creative ideas I'm at the moment um, looking to appoint a, cre a creative hub manager who kind of bring that community together. And, and the, the way it works is that the organizations that are located in the creative hub pay a minimal rental to cover their utilities, but they barter with us as constitution here. So if you're a photographer, you maybe give us X number of hours to do our photography. Uh, if you're a designer, you give us X number of hours. So, for example, Razi, who does our branding for Basho Huru, you know, offsets these costs by doing developing that branding. So it's a it's a wonderful concept and it's going to really really grow. And then you'd know about Flame Studio, which we built under lockdown, which is a state of the art uh, recording studio. Uh, it's a not for profit organization, uh, and it's, uh, it's a whole Robin Hood model of charging corporates the bucks so that we can give emerging artists the opportunity to record in the studio. 
So, Dawn, I'm going to jump right in because we have very little time and we've just managed to get your second guest on air. Probably probably one of my most favorite people in the world, and I'm so delighted that he is your second guest. Robbie Brosen, an entrepreneur, uh, a, a trustee of the Constitution Hill Trust, um, philanthropist. You know, one could just like tick off all those little things next to his name. And Dawn, what a delight that you're bringing Robbie on board. You mentioned Flame Studio. Robbie, lovely. Talk to us about it. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Dawn. Really, two of my favorite people. Um, and certain big inspirations for me. Um, Flame Studios is fantastic. I mean, the energy, um, you know, it's really the brainchild of Dawn and a couple of people from the Nando's team in terms of respecting the past but looking to the future and try to bring a bit of energy and bring the Constitution to life through music and through talent and through the energy that, that, that South Africa has gotten. So it's been really, it's been a phenomenal um, kind of project. And, and the energy that it's brought and the, the kind of impact that it's had is way beyond what I ever thought would, would happen. Um, it's been phenomenal. Um, and it's very exciting. Because it talks to the constitutional values. Um, and the artists that we've had have really given me such great hope in the yeah. future of this country. I can't even tell you. So I'm going to put a question to both of you. Dawn, you, you, you so rightly mentioned, A, the Robin Hood model, but you also mentioned the bartering model. And I think that if we had to really reimagine how we look at the economy, particularly the creative economy, this could be a way of thinking through it in so many other ways. Robbie, I know that in your space and in the work that you're doing, and you work on so many different projects, that is probably one of the ways you do it. You do look at bartering. You do look at um, the Robin Hood model. Talk to us about that. I mean, I think completely, you know, uh, certainly to, to a certain extent, bartering is important. But I for me, you know, if you look at South Africa today, I think that, you know, the government clearly has let us down. Corporates have let us down as well. You know, it's not that government's not on its own. It's been corporates as well. And, and we believe that it's time for the creatives to wake the nation. You know, it's mm. really time for the creative industry to stand up and for social, for, for civil society to stand up and do incredible, through creativity, move the nation. And, mm. and you know, in terms of lighting that, that flame, um, it's an incredible kind of time because... You know, in bartering, you can you, we can we can trade one thing for another, um, especially having kind of recording space, giving artists an opportunity. But I think it's a much broader than that. It's got a much bigger impact, and and I think bartering, we've all got to get together. We've got to show how we, you know, we we the people are together in this, and it's up to the individuals really. You can't rely on government and we can't rely on corporates. You know, we as people have got to get up and do certain things. So you've seen what's happening in Ukraine. It's the same kind of thing where people are really united and, and, and you know, in, in difficult situations of, of becoming more united than ever. And that's the time that we're in in South Africa. And, and I think what we've done at the, at the Hill is, is really celebrate the creative industry. And, and, and I think it's, for me, it's been phenomenally exciting to see the, the initial impact. I mean, it's just a foundation. We yeah. haven't really done, you know, we, are, we, we just at the start of it. It's very exciting. And I, and I think it is, it's a, it's a model for the future where you've got to think differently and do things in a different way. And you can do public-private partnerships, but do them in a, in a, in a different way and use the strength of the creative, the creative industry because they tend to have very good solutions to things. So It's very exciting. Dawna, and Dawn's I... been a huge catalyst in that. I, I'll tell you something. She's been phenomenally, phenomenally powerful in driving that agenda. You know, art and justice, which is such an important element, the kind of the kind of strength of the justice side, 
Um, but the craziness of the art, and I think those two blend so beautifully together. She's done it really well. Dawn, I'm, I'm going to close off with you. We've got a, a couple of minutes left, and Robbie has spoken about this, as, and, and maybe we look at the Hill in general as a model for the future, with an idea that we are focusing on multi-sector collaborations and co-creations. Talk to us about that and how this is something that could be taken maybe uh, further than just the Hill, but in, in a much broader way in South Africa. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. It is the potential kind of way forward. You know, if we look at our We the People campaign, the collaborations we've done with people like Chef or the Gene Maker, for example, yeah. around taking that into, you know, stores like Woolies, the work that we're doing with our merch store, you know, where we're working with creators, we've immersed them in the hill. We've said to them, this is the story of the hill. Go out and create new merchandise. Merch with serious swag that kind of has the creative components as well as the social justice messaging. So the merch shop, when it opens in the month or two, will really, really show a new aspect of that as well. Uh, and, and I'll speak to the Power Lounge, uh, which again, you know, was almost not quite a barter deal, but, you know, when Nando's couldn't take their young art designers to Milan uh, because of COVID, they then invested that money in young designers in, the, in Johannesburg, who then created this amazing new space called the Speak Cheap to Power Lounge, yeah. where we're going to be hosting these interesting conversations. So, I, you know, for me, it's again about thinking about models outside of the box, finding creative ways and creative solutions, and just having the tenacity to go forth and, you know, kind of do it. But at the same time, coming from my position, make sure you tick the boxes and you dot the I's and you're compliant in terms of the PFMA and, yep. and all of that, you know. You know, it, 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 sometimes there's ridiculous obstacles that you have to actually achieve what you want to achieve, you know. I want to work with this artist to create this mural which is going to have this impact. Okay, yes, but did you get two quotes for that artist? <laughs> so let's let's so, let's let's close up because we've got a minute. We've got two minutes. And Robbie, I'd like to give you one of those minutes to say... What is it that drives you as you move forward? We've heard earlier from Dawn that a lot of her purpose is around loving this country. Robbie, from you, what is it that drives you forward? I'm going to give you 50 seconds for it. Okay, we've lost Robbie. We'll go straight to Dawn. Dawn, as we know, it's it's too late for us to go back to that. So let's go straight (laughs) to Dawn. Dawn, as you move forward, what are you going to say? This is what drives me forward. You know, for me, um, I'm getting ready to go back and be Dawn, the artist that I trained to be. Huh? So I've got a few more, <laughs> few more years left on the hill. And what drives me is the fact that I'm sitting with the side that I was asked to go and head up, which almost was a bit like sleeping duty. You know, came in with a big bang in the early 2000s and then went to sleep. And for the last five or six years, I have been pushing to get the site developed to its full potential to implement this complete master plan. And finally, you know, I'm at the point where I've got a construction site. We just went out and bought everybody on the team hard hats last week. Um, I'm starting to see the fulfillment of that vision uh, that the city, the province, uh, the state had for Constitution Hill and the opportunity to actually finish the construction and the development of the site as a major catalytic piece of infrastructure from a creative and a tourism perspective in Johannesburg and Kharteng. I'm sure this will make a huge difference uh, and continue to make a difference to the lives of many And we're potentially going to be a World Heritage Site. Can I just throw that in? So we kind of, 
in a serial listing at UNESCO as we speak as the Mandela Liberation Group, and we're hoping that that will come through in the course of the year as well. That will be something to celebrate. Dawn Robertson, always a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.